Hey, good morning. And would you please grab your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. It's page 219. If you need to use one of the Bibles behind the seats there. Uh, just a random question as you're turning there. Random question. Why did God's people choose Barabbas over Jesus? Why did God's people choose Barabbas over Jesus? Tuck that away. Might bring it up later. Well, on Friday, um, I gave a tweet. And I tweeted. And I tweeted this, as you can see it on the screen, because I am full in committed. My 2016 Olympic event is this Sunday. That's today. It is preaching the longest text in our Judges series, chapters 20 and 21, in the shortest time of any in the series. Hashtag under 40. <laughs> hashtag going for gold. Because every two and a half minutes over that is a drop in metal. Okay? Now, don't start the clocks yet. I want to, uh, I would add a couple hashtags to that, uh, maybe to explain. Uh, hashtag I need it. Uh, hashtag you need it. Hashtag our children's ministry workers need it. <laughs> hashtag so let's get at it, right? Okay, so here's the thing. What time is it? Start. Hashtag under 40. Well, we are in the final five chapters of the book of Judges. We're chapter 17 through 21, and I would call these final chapters the exclamation point to the book of Judges. Uh, the first chapters, 1 and 2, are really kind of that introduction. The chapters 3 through 16 is some 350 years of God's people not being who they said they were. Uh, and in the final five chapters are the exclamation point. I'll be referencing this up on the screen more next Sunday. But uh, those final five chapters contain two stories, two story events in them. The story event in one is chapters 17 and 18. It, I just got it marked with Levite number one. And then chapters 19 through 21 are Levite number two in there. Uh, I'd summarize the purpose of these final uh, two story events of these final chapters as I would say it this way. They are highlighting the depravity and tenacity of our brokenness. They are highlighting the, the depravity. Uh, we really saw that last Sunday. If you were here uh, in chapter 19, um, we saw, and we are going to be seeing today, the tenacity of our brokenness. So the depravity and the tenacity of our brokenness. Now, I just want to let you know, next Sunday, uh, after this, we're going to hit next Sunday, I'm calling it the tenacity of His grace. Because you cannot leave this dark book without understanding who He is in the whole of the book. And the tenacity of his grace. Well, let's put our 12 tribes map up on the screen. A few cities I have marked here, if you can see them there, uh, that'll be coming up in our text. Let's dive in, okay? Ready? Here we go, chapter 20. And I want to begin with a statement here. Uh, broken people tenaciously seek to be self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing. Let me say that again. Broken people us, 
have this tendency to be tenaciously after our self-sovereignty, our self-warring, and our self-pursuits. And we're going to see that here in the text. It was true for God's people some, thro- some 3,000 years ago, and it's true for God's people today. Chapter 19, let's get a little bit of context. Verse 27, it begins, And her husband rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine, his second-class wife, uh, lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold, and he said to her, Get up, let us be going. Now, if you weren't here last night, I don't have the time because I'm going to lose a medal trying to uh, go over last Sunday, but if you're here last Sunday, you know what's up, and it's like, this guy is a dirtbag, and this is a Levite. He's to be a spiritual leader, and he's tripping over his wife that he threw out to guys to abuse her all night long, and she crawls back to the door, and it's like, oops, and he said to her, get up, let us be going, but there was no answer. Was she dead? Was she not? The narrator leaves us wondering. Then he put her on, her don- on his donkey. And the man rose up, went away to the house, and he entered his house. He took a knife, taking hold of his concubine. By now, either she is, he killed her or she is dead one way or the other. He divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces, sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened. Or been seen in the day the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel. Speak. Man, last Sunday, that was rough. Rough, rough text. But here we pick up. Going from there, the story, the true event, continues on chapter 20. Then, in other words, connecting, then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba. Think of it like this. They came out from Maine to Florida, okay? They came out from Maine to Florida, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword, uh, parentheses. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. You'll understand why. By the way, gone up, that's elevation, to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, tell us how did this evil happen? And this dirtbag Levite, the dirtbag was my insert in that part. Uh, the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, uh, answered. By the way, that tells us a lot. She wasn't accidentally died. She was murdered in this answered and said, I came up to Gibeah, here's a story that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, true, that's true, to spend the night, true, and the leaders of Gibeah rose against me, that's interesting, was it the leaders of Gibeah, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, maybe he's embellishing a little bit, maybe not, if it was the leaders, that tells some story, if it wasn't, it's telling a story about him, and the leaders of Gibeah rose against me, surrounded the house against me by night, that's true, they meant to kill me, incorrect, they meant to have sexual relationships with you, I'm telling you friends, he's playing the story, he's playing the story. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine. Excuse me, you threw her out to them. No, 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 they violated my concubine, and she is dead, so I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Really, dude? 
last chapter, you've committed abominations. Get the log out of your own eye, boy. Sorry, but this guy just ticks me off. Verse 7, behold, you people of Israel, he's giving his speech. All of you, give your advice and counsel here. So here we have all Israel, minus the tribe of Benjamin, they gather to address the situation. This Levite husband gives a, a tainted, a slanted view of his chapter 19 story, and all of Israel unites. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, and all the people arose as one man, saying, none of us will go to his tent, none of us will return to his house, but now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men, and so forth, that they get the people. Verse 11, so all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. You know what? And you understand the whole book of it? This unity is impressive. Because when else has Israel over the 350 years been unified like this? It's really an impressive thing. They're unified as like one man. That's pretty cool, but it's also tragic. And it's a tragic unity because why did God's people over the last 350 years not unite like this for the Lord? And his decree and his call for them. Now what you have is this wanderer Levite that we know behind the scenes is a dirtbag getting all God's people all in a big move together and he's amping them up and they're joining in off of this drifter slanted words Levite. It's impressive but it's also very tragic. Verse 12, and the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what evil is this that has taken place among you? Good for them. They've come to Benjamin where this event happened, and they've said, why has this happened? Verse 13, really important. Now therefore give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah. By the way, that's the way they were termed in chapter 19. That we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. There's a lot that's really good about that. But here, the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. What happened here? They demand that the Benjamites give up the men who did this horrific deed uh, to murder this woman. Uh, that's a good thing that they were doing that. But the Benjamites refuse. Why? It's intriguing. We're actually not told. We're not told the specific why. Might it have been because they heard different information from the men of Gibeah? Might it have been that in this that blood is thicker than water? And it's like, that's one of our tribe. No, 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 you don't go up against them. I don't know why. But I will tell you this, so far in the text, I think what we are sensing is this. We are sensing God's people functioning in their own self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing ways. Because here's a question on the table. Where has God been in this at all? Where has God's people been bringing the Lord in this? By the way, we see 11 tribes. This is what we're going to do. And then we see the Benjamites. No, we're not going to listen to you. Self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing. Verse 14, Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. Like, let's fight. 
And so the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men. A little bit more information in there. 700 of them are chosen men. 700 of them are left-handed. By the way, Benjamin means son of right-handed. Seven of them. I'm not going to take the time to go in there. I'll lose another medal. Verse 17, the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered, mustered together 400,000 men. So it's 26,000 coming out of the tribe of Benjamin and 400,000 coming out of the rest of the tribe of Israel. That's uh, like 15 to 1. Not very good odds. By the way, don't lose sight of what's happened. A household conflict has now become a civil war. A household conflict in one house has now brought civil war to all 12 tribes. God's people can unite, but it's about uniting around the right things. And they're not advancing the ministry ball in this situation at all. So they go to war. Three battles occur. I'm going to read to you the first two battles and then summarize the third battle. So verse 18, battle number one. Here we go. The people of Israel rose, went up to Bethel, and required of God, who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel rose. Let me stop there because of this. Here they go, they inquire of God. That's really cool. We haven't seen that for a while yet. But they don't ask, should we go? They ask, who shall go first? And God gives two words in Hebrew. Just two words. It doesn't sound like much of a conversation, if you ask me. It doesn't sound like there's much of a conversation going. It's just kind of like, hey, chapter 1, I told you to go first, all the way in Judges chapter 1. And so here he says, in Hebrew, two words, Judah go. <laughs> I'm going to put it that way. Verse 19, then the people of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. The people of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. That's 5.5% of the Israelite army. We're not told anything about the Benjamite army but the people the men of Israel took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day verse 23 and the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening why because they lost they lost and so they go up to the Lord and they inquire of the Lord uh, shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers the people of Benjamin and the Lord said in Hebrews two words Go up. Go up against them. Friends, this is written in a way for us to pick out some things of what's happening here. There's not much relationship. Battle number two, verse 24. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And, the ben and Benjamin went against them of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the Israelite army. About another 5% is gone. All these were men of, who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army went up, came to Bethel and wept. 
And they sat before the Lord, and they fasted that day until evening, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord, because they lost. Verse 27, and the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, uh, parenthetic, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days. I'd love to go there, but I can't today. Saying, shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, uh, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? We've lost twice, God. What do we do now? Now I'm liking what they're asking. They inquire of the Lord. And the Lord gives five words. The Lord said in English, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. What an interesting comment. Go up. I will give them into your hand. Battle three. Just verse 29. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah. We're in the third battle now. What happens here? Let me summarize this. Israel, they hide a portion of their army around the city of Gibeah. Remember, Gibeah was where all the dastardly deeds took place in chapter 19. And they put their soldiers around there. They, then they put other soldiers to draw the Benjamite army out of the city. So they're like, hey, we're here. Come get us. And they all chase after them. And they chase after them. Then the hiding Israelite army comes from behind. They take the city. They light the city on fire. By the way, these are God's people fighting and killing and burning God's people in God's place. And they burn it up. The, the, the Benjamites turn around and look back, see their city is burned, find, realize that, that, they, that they got duped. And then all of a sudden, it's just crush on them. And so they scatter, and they, they run, and, and they flee for the life. But the Benjamite army just gets slaughtered. Look at the end of chapter 20, verse 46. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men. How many men did they have? 26,000. So these are round numbers. 25,000 men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. Verse 47, but how many turned and fled? How many? How many? 600. 600 remained in the wilderness. Verse 48, and the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin, struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, the men, the beasts, all that they found, and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. 600 men of Benjamites got away. Everything else is taken out. By the way, important note in verse 35, midway through there, and the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. I'm going to note the narrator gives no information on why God did what he did. And I want to pause on that just for a moment. Why did the Lord have the Benjamites beaten? Why did the Lord allow this whole thing to go? Well, I think one is to say that, well, God's bringing judgment on them. But I want to note there is nothing telling us exactly why God did what God did. There's a lesson in this. Friends, it's often in our why questions that we become self-sovereign, self-warring, and self-pursuing. It's often in our why questions. I mean, the Psalms are filled with why questions. And it's not that why questions are wrong, but it's like, why did that happen? Why didn't that happen? Why did God allow that? Why didn't God allow that? For instance, did you hear the story about 
uh, the Bornsteins, uh, Lisa and Luke and Emma from Shelbyville, who died in a plane crash, by the way. Uh, those are the, uh, uh, that is the sister-in-law of Bill Bornstein, the Harvest Pastor in Phoenix, who grew up in Indianapolis. And his brother, her husband, um, died, committed suicide last year. And why? Why did this plane in Fredericksburg, as it landed midway and tried to do a go-around and stalled and crashed? Why? Nothing's wrong with asking that question, but I would just see, say this, be very careful. Because there is one seat that has the answer to that question, and it's fully handled fully well. And it's not my seat, and it's not your seat, it's the Lord's seat. And when we enter into sometimes, like, why did God do that? I don't get that. I can't put the pieces together. I'm just saying, listen, ask the question, have the conversation, but do it very humbly, very carefully, because that's the point where we begin to move into being self-sovereign, self-warring, and self-pursuing people. And the text doesn't tell us. I will just say this, his ways are higher than our ways. And I'm good with that, even in the hurt, and even in the questions of why. He's got it. He's got it. Chapter 21. First two laps are completed and we're right on time. Chapter 21. Verse 1. Kind of a parenthetic information. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, not one of us shall go his shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Okay, at some point in time, the 11 tribes made this vow. Out of anger, none of you, none of us, are going to give our daughters in marriage to any of the Benjamites. Just tag that away. Verse 2. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly, and they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why? Why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? Boy, we could have an interesting conversation with that, because one side you could say, because God told them to go, and God won the victory. On the other side of it, you could answer that by going, you knuckleheads, it's because you're not even doing what God has asked you to do and be. You're fighting each other. What's the deal? It's almost like they are thinking, God is the one who messed this up. And may I bring in chapter 17, 18, and 19, exclamation point. These guys are off with the Lord. And the next day, the people rose early, built there an altar, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly of the Lord? Why are they asking this? I'll tell you in just a second parenthetic, for they had taken an oath concerning him who did not come to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, he shall surely be put to death. Okay, what's going on with this? Because this is so how broken people deal with things. What's happened? Well, their tempers have cooled down, and they've realized what's happened. What's happened is, is that they have almost brought one of the 12 tribes of Israel into extinction. 
and they are like, oh my word. A tribe of Israel has almost been obliterated from the face of the earth. And they feel bad about it. They feel guilty about it. And they're genocide warring in this. And they are in a, theologically, we would call this, they are in a pickle. Okay? Here's the pickle. 600 Benjamite men survived. Everyone else has been killed in Benjamin. The women, children, everything. And they made a vow that they would not give their wives to a Benjamite. And no, 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 they can't go back to Leviticus and see that Leviticus says how to get out of a rash vow. No, 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 just like Jephthah. No, 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 you don't do that. You connive your way. You figure out your own self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing way. So they have a meeting here. And they get together and they talk about, hey, was anyone not at the meeting in the vow? And as the text goes through, come to find out, Jabesh Gilead was not there. They weren't there at the meeting. Hey, I know what we can do. They didn't commit to the vow. They have women. Women, aren't you feeling loved? They have women. We can go get their women and marry, and then we keep our vow, and they haven't broken a vow. All's good. No, it's not. This is the way we broken people have a tendency to handle life problems. In self-sovereign ways, in self-warring ways, and in self-pursuit ways. So since their dads didn't make a vow, they make up this plan. No one ends up breaking a vow. By the way, they couldn't just repent and confess, because that's hard for self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing people to do, isn't it? Yeah. So, verse 10, they sent 12,000 of their bravest warriors to go strike down the people of uh, uh, Jabesh Gilead. By the way, that means the people of Jabesh Gilead didn't know about this deal. And, and so they go up and they wipe them out, including the women and the kids, except they keep the young unmarried virgin women there. Let's call it this. They kidnapped them. They annihilated a town to take some women with it. Ladies, are you just really not feeling loved right now? I mean, it just as these stories go on, our ladies, are you seeing over these chapters how when God's people, and I'll say this especially, when God's men treat women, God's women like property, like nothing, what's with that? God's men are to treat God's women as equals and yet unique. And I'm thankful for both. Men, let's treat our women right. And here, this is what's happening. When God's people go to this kind of place, things go bad. And so they go and do this brainiac kind of an idea. And what's the bounty? Verse 12. The bounty is they get 400 young women taken. Wait, 600 and 400. Hmm. Hmm. We still have a 200-woman problem. So what do brainiac elders 
who are broken in their own self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing ways, what do they do? Well, they do what verse 13 and following says. They call emergency meeting together, and, and, and Elder Sam gets together and comes up, verse 19. It's not Sam, okay? But he's like, behold, I got a brainiac idea. Here's what we can do. After reviewing the bylaws and the ministry calendar, yeah, I'm having some fun with this, okay? Okay, with this. And after reviewing all that, I remembered that we have a Labor Day feast that's coming up. There's a feast at the time that's taking place. We have this Labor Day feast that, that's going on. It's taking place at Shiloh. And everybody knows what happens is that feast is part of the whole process of that feast. Is, is the young single women go and they do this dance. And, and it's part of the celebration before the Lord. You know, none of this <laughs> stuff before the Lord. It's like singing, dancing. That was a, kind of a worship inclusion in there. Did I just offend everybody? Okay. And it's like, listen, they're celebrating unto the Lord in this whole thing. And what they know is what we can do when that event takes place and the women are dancing on it, we can have Benjamite men out in the field and they can take the women. Yeah. That sounds brainiac, doesn't it? And loving. Oh, and by the way, here's what we'll do in it. When then their dads and their brothers, when they come out and go, what in the world are you doing? You see, we've got this all worked out because in verse 22, they, they then talk about when they come out and they complain about it, we'll respond, well, you did not give your daughters up in marriage to the 200 remaining Benjamites because if you did, then you would be guilty of the vow because you are within the section who did make the vow that we won't do that. But, but, but you see, the clause number 22 in the vow, it says that if they're taken in battle then you're not giving them in marriage. So this thing with the Benjamite men hiding, that's a battle. And so you're good, and we're good, and we got all the women we need for these 600 remaining men. Brainiac, huh? Where's the elder at that meeting? That was like, Excuse me, but before the Lord, I have a real problem with this. There was none. And it's a description of what's going on in the day. And so they do it. Verse 23, chapter 21. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives. Ladies, are you just not reading, again, I'm just going to say it one more time because I think men have to hear this. Are you just not feeling like a piece of property that you can just be hauled off? What's with that? And these are God's people. Shame on God's men for this kind of garbage. That's not the way God's men treat God's women. That is not the way God's men treat God's women. And I'd really appreciate like an amen right now. And so they went and they took the wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and turned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. Isn't that just like, and everything's great. Verse 24 
And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. So they got the 200 dancers. They all went home. And Warren Wearsby sums it up this way. Thus the 600 men got their brides. The 11 tribes kept their vows. The, city, the citizens of Gibeah were punished. The tribe of Benjamin was taught a lesson, and the twelve tribes of Israel were saved. The six hundred men of Benjamin, with their brides, returned to their inheritance, cleaned up the debris, repaired the cities, and started life all over again. Wow, it's kind of like God's people are out of their pickle. But they are not. They are not. Look at the last verse of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Every one of God's people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And this last event story just makes the exclamation point at the end of the book that much bolder. This is what it looks like when God's people are not who they say they are and when instead they just do what's right in their own eyes. From top to bottom, this is what it looks like. The tenacity of their brokenness just keeps going. Self-sovereign, self-warring, pursuing, it just keeps going. It's tenacious. Kalos and Younger says the ultimate root of the problem in the church today is not in the influence of the culture around us. It is in our unwillingness to believe, to take God at his word and then obey. We need to submit ourselves, our inherent sinfulness, to the transforming work of the Spirit, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Daniel Block adds, no book of the Old Testament offers the modern church as telling a mirror as this book. From the jealousies of the Ephraimites to the religious pragmatism of the Danites, from the paganism of Gideon to the self-centeredness of Samson, and from the unmanliness of Barak to the violence against women by the, women by the men of Gibeah. All the marks of Canaanite degeneration are evident in the church and its leaders today. This book is a wake-up call for a church moribund, dying in its own selfish pursuits. Instead of heeding the call to truly godly leaders and letting Jesus Christ be Lord of the church everywhere, congregations and their leaders are doing what is right in their own eyes. Friends, we tend to have this thing about us that we look around and we see the reality of the degeneration of our culture and the degeneration of our politics 
and the degeneration of our education and the world events and so forth. And we think that those are our greatest enemy. The book of Judges is a wake-up call. And it's saying this. We can be our own worst enemy. The book of Judges is a picture of God's people being their own worst enemy. I mean, we just see the tenacity of their brokenness. And if we are going to be who we say we are, we have to begin at, to be at this place of an understanding, of a seeing, of a recognition, of, of a humility within all of us, of the depravity and the tenacity of our own brokenness. I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about person right here, and I'm talking about people right here. We have to come out of the book of Judges with a sense of, oh my, the depravity and the tenacity, even as a redeemed person in Christ within me, saved in Christ, but still bent towards wanting sin, still bent towards wanting to be self-sovereign, still bent towards wanting to be self-warring. Don't worry about it. I'll take it and make it right. Bent towards our own pursuits. And God is saying, come. Come, people. I want to humble people who see the tenaciousness of their own depravity and brokenness. And I can use you. The Lord loves people who are broken. He died for them. And next Sunday, we are going to see the tenacity of His grace far greater than any, any of the horrific brokenness of you and I. There's hope. But we have to see our brokenness. By the way, why did they choose Barabbas over Jesus? Why did God's people choose Barabbas over Jesus? Because by choosing Barabbas, they could continue to do things the way they wanted, the way they saw, and the way they desired. But if they chose Jesus, he was one who said, I am sovereign, I am warrior, I am pursuer, submit to me. And they didn't want that. They wanted self-sovereign, self-warring self-pursuing ways. And so they chose Barabbas. It happened in Judges. It happened in the New Testament. And it can happen today. Let's see the tenacity of our brokenness and come back next Sunday and let's answer it with the tenacity of His grace. Okay? Can we do that? Yes. By the way, what time is it? Gold medal! <laughs>
Lord, we can have fun even amongst the depth of this, but the only reason we can celebrate things and have joy and hope in things because the reality of the brokenness of who we are, it is deep, it is wide, it is total depravity. It is to a place to where when we see uh, uh, Isaiah in chapter 9 coming before you, the throne, he falls before you as though he's going to die. We see John in Revelation chapter 1, one of the apostles, one redeemed in Christ. He falls before you and he thinks he's going to die. Why? Because of your grandness and because of his not grandness. Oh, redeemed in Christ, yes. But in need of Christ, oh, Yes, we are. So Lord, I just pray we would have this moment here of soft hearts before you. Of tender hearts before you. Hearts willing before you just to admit the brokenness of us. To even maybe reflect back on this last week and See the reality of our self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing ways. And this would be a great time to confess and to fall face down before you. We struggle with pride, Lord. And you know it. And I ask you would help us stay humble. And that we would seek to keep our eyes on you, the Almighty One, the Colossians One Creator One, the Redeemer One, the Cross Sacrificed One, the Empty Tomb One, oh, the Revelation Chapter One One. The resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. Lord, we are without hope on our own. But because of your grace, bigger than our sin, we can have hope. God, just as a church, as we seek to advance the ministry ball in our depth with you, and Lord willing, even in our breadth with you. Just because we want more to be worshiping you and knowing you. Oh God, we pray you would work. Spare us from our own self-sovereign, self-warring, self-pursuing ways. God, as leadership, as everyone. Oh, holy, righteous, sovereign Lord. You are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.